Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. My name is Trainer Chip Ritchie and of course I am joined as always by my co-host Azul GG. This time the champ Azul GG. <laughs> What's going on man? How are you feeling? I'm feeling good, doing good. Of course the weekend went about as almost as, as good as it could. <laughs> um, I won the whole thing. Uh, won the NAIC championships and actually it's funny. I, after that I went to the casino uh i put put 500 on black and i won there as well so i guess it was just kind of my weekend overall uh so yeah really good weekend of course even if i hadn't won it would have been a very fun weekend in general pokemon events always are but of course winning uh makes it that much better so yeah really really great weekend overall and i couldn't be uh couldn't be happier the guys taking dubs (laughs) non-stop let's go you love to see it yeah i was really happy for you man it was super cool um I know that a IC win is something that you have been very close to before and things just didn't quite work out. So I am very happy for you that you got the major, major tournament win. Um, But we'll talk about that a little bit more. I also had a great weekend. I was also at an AIC, of course, got the opportunity to cast and we had an awesome weekend. We saw a lot of great close matches. I think that the finals game was extremely exciting, even though game three, like Isaiah got really <laughs> unlucky in the beginning of the game, which we can talk about. Um, but even still, he was not out of that game, even though he yeah. got insanely unlucky. And that's what I love about Pokemon, man. Just the back and forth, the strategy playing out from both players um so yeah we'll break it all down before we get much more into it i do want to say a huge thank you to everyone who came up to both myself and azul said that you enjoyed our content said that you enjoyed the podcast we both gave out a ton of dice this weekend i had to unfortunately tell a lot of people that i was out of dice i'm sure azul had to do the same uh but azul will have some more at the world championships this august so if you're going to be at world's another opportunity and we will probably do another run of dice at some point so if you didn't get one from us at a regionals we'll do some more at some point there will be another way for people to get an opportunity to get one um but yeah thank you guys all so much for the support of course yeah definitely yeah it was a super sick to see how many people i did not expect them to like you know yeah the, the amount of support was crazy i wish we had more dice to give out to everyone but i'm glad that uh, we were able to give them out to some people and show our show our appreciation for the support for the podcast. So today we're going to be talking about uh, my run uh, winning NAIC with the Flying Pikachu. Uh, we'll talk about NAIC in general outside of that. Of course, we always have everyone's favorite segment, Guess That Flavor Text. This week, I'm going to be picking a card for Chip to uh, try and guess. Um, <clears throat> some other stuff went down at NAIC. Um, specifically, the one thing that not not just everyone in the Pokemon community knows about, but literally like everyone in like in general and gaming probably knows about <laughs> is the jumbo cards that someone played <laughs> at NAIC. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about the uh, Pokemon go set coming up as well, or that is coming out this week. Um, so we've got some of our, our top picks from that set coming out. We'll get, we'll go more into that next week as well. Once we have seen some of the stuff that people come up with, cause there are some like pretty, it's like it's like it's there's a decent amount of cards that when you read them you makes you stop and think about them and that's what I've been liking that we've been seeing a lot more of that the last couple sets and specifically with this Pokemon Go set even when we won't have a major set release for the World Championships we'll at least have this to work with and there's a decent amount of cards where you read them and you're like hmm that's interesting what can I make that work with so we have a decent amount of those in the Pokemon Go set so hopefully that shakes it up a little bit going into going into Worlds 
Yeah, we'll um, talk about Go a little bit more in depth next week. We'll also next week look at some of the new cards that were released or uh, announced, I should say, from Lost Origin, which will oh, be yeah. coming out uh, in the fall for us. The Giratina V-Star looks a little crazy. It might be a little high maintenance to get it going, but once you get it going, that thing just does 280 damage, which is pretty pretty wild so we'll talk about all of those things a little bit more in depth next week for for now just sticking at a quick little preview and mostly talking about naic and of course speaking of naic we gotta start by talking about the champ azul gg <laughs> man you have been one of the most accomplished players in the game in the modern era you've won five regional championships of course four of those being ones since the cash era uh, has been a thing, um, and how would you say that this win, you know, being at internationals, of course, stacks up compared to all the success you've seen at the regional level? Uh, I mean, it's good. Like, I got second at LAIC 2018, I believe, 17, 18, or maybe it was 18. 16, 17. It was 18, yeah, 17, 18. So, um, I mean, that was that was great as well. Um, and there's been, like, I mean, there's been plenty of moments throughout regionals and ICs where I feel like I definitely could have, placed better you know a little bit more deck pre uh, prepping for a deck or a little bit more or a little bit better gameplay overall um and of course there's been moments where i felt like about a little bit unlucky um yeah so there's been like other moments in the past where i feel like i could have been maybe walking away with a couple more wins but it still feels really good to get this win um but you know i don't like to try and dwell on it too much i guess like i'm still always looking forward to the next tournament um and of course the next the next big one is going to be worlds um which is the biggest <laughs> biggest uh tournament every season so i'm a little bit more already kind of looking like i had my uh i enjoyed it over the weekend you know enjoyed the win celebrated uh whatever but now i'm already kind of looking ahead towards that that next tournament i think i feel like even if i was to you know, say win worlds, whether it be this year or next year or whenever, I would still be, as long as I'm still competing, I'd be looking towards, okay, when's the next season, when's this new season start? What's the first regional? That's what I'd be looking towards instead of, you know, dwelling too much on the present and being too satisfied with where I currently am. Winning, even if I, even if I was to win worlds at some point, my goal is still to win more uh, as much as I possibly can. So it, it's, it's great. Um, it feels like all the time and, time and thought put into you know the deck choice and then i feel like i played very well overall throughout the weekend as well um and that's like always like the biggest thing that i always tell people is like your play is the number one thing that's gonna uh it doesn't matter if you're you're you play a, a subpar deck or your list isn't perfect if you don't play well none of that really matters so that's like the biggest thing the biggest thing that i felt from from coming out of the weekend was that i just felt like i played very well so yeah super happy with the the dub overall <laughs> You love to hear it. A true competitor, never satisfied, <laughs> always wanting uh, to keep pushing his limits. Yeah, you mentioned your second place at LAIC a couple of years ago. Um, and I'm sure you remember it relatively well because it was a pretty memorable moment where yeah. Diego, your opponent, needs one specific card and ends himself to two and just happens to get there. There's also a lot of other stuff that happened in that game. You got a double prize penalty for uh, pace of play. I believe if that's yeah. right, um, yeah. Diego also made like a couple of mistakes that you wouldn't expect from someone <laughs> in a finals game where he like max elixirs before playing super rod and stuff like that. And then still hits the energy doesn't ever get punished. And that, so like all of those things, led to a pretty, I would imagine, deflating loss in the finals of that one. And then you inflated, yeah, of course, with the flying Pikachu to this event <laughs> to take uh, to take first. Is that something that you've kind of worn as like a little bit of a chip on your shoulder ever since then when you're competing at ICs? 
I mean, maybe a little bit. I guess it's maybe a reminder that I can always, I gotta like make sure I do better from, you know, or as well as I can. Like I said, like gameplay is like the number one thing. And I could have played, I don't know if I could, I don't remember that. Maybe I probably, I mean, you could always play better, but I mean, the biggest thing was my pace of play. I could have played faster. I don't know if my, the actions I chose to make could have been, could have been better, but I definitely could have played faster. And yeah, like, Theoretically, I should have never had an opportunity in those games at all, but Diego definitely made quite a few missteps throughout game one and game two. Because um, I remember it, but both games, I think I opened up dead. Like, I was just, like, dead drawing for the start of both games. And then, yeah, some questionable plays from Diego led to give me, like, a chance to get back into it. And then, of course, the double prize penalty in the first game. So it all kind of, like, escalated. Yeah, it was just, it was just one of those things where it was, like, so many little things. Yeah, definitely, that's a good way to put it. Very deflating loss. Like, by the end of the loss, it was just, like... Even though like I could see it coming, I knew it was possible. It was just like it felt that much worse with all the other all the other build up around eventually, you know, losing there. So yeah, I mean, definitely just yeah, it feels good. I guess it is like a little bit of a reminder. So I always remember it um, as a reminder to push myself a little bit harder, a little bit further, um, and knowing that uh, I haven't quite reached my limit yet for sure. So you get the win this weekend with the flying Pikachu, the same deck that you played at Milwaukee, and I believe it was only like. Yeah two cards different one or two cards different right uh something I close three I mean, total three total yeah, it was okay. pretty close yeah so very similar to what you played in milwaukee you got a 10th place a top 16 finish the weekend previous we talked about it a little bit on the podcast last week you did still say it was a deck you liked and you could see it being a deck you would play for the internationals and obviously you did choose to still stick with it why was that why did you choose to stick with flying pikachu for the tournament going in and then as the rounds started to play out were you pretty comfortable with that choice say at like round three round four that time frame yeah so uh played it for milwaukee because it seemed like a pretty good play and ended up being a pretty good play at milwaukee and then going to any uh naic we talked about it uh and we were like, there's no way we play this deck again going into naic and that was like our initial idea was like okay we're doing this for milwaukee Hopefully it goes well. And it went okay um, overall. And then we're like, okay, but there's no way we play this for NAIC. So we're like, okay, what do we play for NAIC? And we got to like the point when in our discussions where it was like, we still don't want to play Palkia and Teleon. Um, and actually our Palkia and Teleon list was very similar to what Bradner's ended up being. We're quite down to the three Sobble. I still don't know if I like the idea of three Sobble. That's like the number one thing when everyone looks at the list. They're like, right. you only have three Sobble in there. You know that, right? Did you like forget your fourth Sobble <laughs> or something? Left him at um, home I think, had to swap it out or something. <laughs> I think there's some pretty solid reasons behind only doing the three Sobble. But at, at the end of it all, we just don't want to play. I specifically very much did not want to play Palkia and Teleon. I was like, why would I want to play the best deck that all the best players in the world are going to be playing. Why do I want to play that many mirror matches, especially with Ark and Teleon gaining um, more popularity and also a deck that would be piloted by a ton of very good players is like, why would I want to play a bunch of these Inteleon mirror matches all day one into all day two. So we're like, all right, let's run the, once again, ran our spreadsheet, uh, you know, put our percentages in there for the matchups, put our, our uh, you know, how how popular thought we, we thought each of the decks that would be. Uh, and initially, the deck that won the spreadsheet was actually uh, Arceus Charizard. Um, but we're like, mm, okay, let's, let's re-take a look at this. <laughs> I'm surprised <laughs> to hear that. I got to question we, Caleb's spreadsheet a little bit if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> we, we mess around with the win rates a little bit more, and we're like, let's... I, we knew that uh, Shemansky and the Crackles were very confident in that deck's uh, chances against Palkia, but like, let's bring it back a little bit closer to like a 50-50. And then we did test the Mew matchup, and that matchup was not good for Arceus Charizard at all. So we yeah. brought that a little bit worse. And then Flying Pikachu once again won the spreadsheet. 
So we're like, okay, it did it again. And when we look at the meta, we're like, okay, there's a couple decks that we expect to leave the meta that we that were good matchups, like the Reggies. We didn't expect Reggie to be very popular at all. It wasn't. We're like, okay, Arceus Teraldon's a good matchup for us, though. And we expect that to gain a little bit of popularity. And then if we put the Phoebe in over the Shauna, we beat Blissey Miltank, even if they play the Tornadus. So we add the Phoebe in over the Tool Jammer. Um, and then we cut the Shauna for a second research to have a more consistent draw supporter. And then we're like, okay, we beat everything we want to beat. And like the meta doesn't shift enough. The only deck to be scared of is how popular will Arceus and Teleon be. I was pretty confident in the matchup not being terrible. I do think it's an unfavorable matchup. I did end up going 101 against it on the day. Uh, and I think everyone else who played the list didn't have terrible records against Arceus and Teleon. But it is very much a matchup where if they set up and draw well, they're going to beat you a majority of the time. But they also don't draw as well as you do on average. Like your first two turns of the game are maybe the most powerful first two turns of the game out of like any deck in the format by being an Arceus B-Barrel deck. So I was pretty confident the matchup was pretty close. It's just like it feels bad when you both sit down and actually play a game against Arceus and Talion, they usually win. So you do have to kind of cheese out a win from them drawing poorly or just completely dead drawing, but that happens to their deck. That happens to Intellion decks way more than it does Arceus B-Barrel decks. So that's where a lot of my wins in general came from is just I played more games than my opponent a, a lot of the time throughout the tournament. Yeah, and you talked about that a little bit last week when we were talking about your run in Milwaukee um, because you had, previous to playing Flying Pikachu in Milwaukee, you'd played Mew at every single regionals before yeah. that point. Um, did you feel like, like how much just how much more in control of your games did you feel playing Arceus Bibarel compared to the Mew VMAX deck? um not not too much more actually to be honest like I, I guess in control like i just felt like i played more games and maybe that's just the most important part but when i went up against a palkia who was playing the game or about a, a, a palkia deck or a mew deck that were both like you know sitting down and they didn't just dead draw uh, i didn't feel like i was in that much more control than them but the deck is very good at making your opponent draw poorly like you play for play for path and you play for marnie and all of the explosive power from mew and palkia comes from their abilities that path shuts off so um, even if they weren't completely dead drawing, you know, you get him with a Marnie and a path on a, on on the right turn and have it stick for just long enough. Um, I mean, you're just going to be walking away with a lot of dubs that way as well. So I guess I just like felt like I was playing more games, I guess more in control. I didn't overly feel like in too much control. I felt very helpless against Mew, having been played, having played Mew <laughs> for those first three tournaments going up against Mew. It feel you feel really helpless. Like I did beat all the Mews I played against. But you're just sitting there and like, please get tails, please get tails, please get tails, please get tails. <laughs> and, and they're just flipping coins, Cramomatics, catchers, Cramomatic catcher. So, um, yeah, I beat all the moves I played against, but it was very much, you know, it's literally all on their side of the board every single turn. Like, whatever I do on my turn literally just doesn't matter. I throw out my Marnie, I throw out my path. If they have the counter stadium, who knows, you know, until you get f firmly ahead in the prize exchange, which is really, really hard to do in the matchup, um, you're always just hoping that they're flipping tails on their turn and finding your path and finding your Marnie, so... Um, yeah, against against the the Mew matchup specifically, I felt like there was I had no control. It was just all on them all the time. Um, but I did feel like I was playing more games, which is important, of course. And and the games with Arceus Mew, or Arceus Peak do go pretty long, which gives you more opportunity to just consistently play better than your opponent. So I guess I guess yes, the answer is yeah. I did feel overall more in control throughout the week playing this than playing Mew. So you ended up uh, playing this deck, you know. And you had a really, really good day one. Uh, yeah. Some would say as good of a day one as you could have <laughs> since you end the day at 9 and 0. Oh. You were in the blue pod, is that correct? Yeah. No, I was in the yellow pod. I was in the, the yellow, yellow pod. Okay. Um, and from looking at the players in the yellow versus the players in the blue pod, it definitely seemed like the, the yellow pod was 
weighted a little bit more heavily towards like the top end. Did you feel like that, or did you feel like they were pretty close to to equal? I guess I didn't really think about it too much. I when I sat down for round seven, though, I sat down. I was playing against Natalie, and I, Kaiwen was right next to me. I knew Tord was in our pod. Yeah. So I, I guess like maybe once I sat down there, I was like, oh yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. Literally sat down to play against Natalie, and then yeah, Kaiwen was table one right next to us. So um, yeah, I didn't really think about it too much. I actually just there were some people who I thought didn't even come to the tournament. I wasn't sure if Pedro was at the tournament uh, or Robin for a little while. I was like, did they even come to the tournament? I wasn't sure because I didn't see them all day. But they were, they were both in, in your pod. pod. Yeah. Pedro and Robin? Mm -hmm. They were both They're in both your in pod. blue. I thought they were both in your pod. Maybe not. I'm sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm 100% sure Pedro was in blue. I don't know about uh, Robin. Robin might have been in yellow, but yeah, I didn't see them the whole day. I was like, did uh, Robin, did any of the other, did they, did any of the other Europeans come? I wasn't sure who actually ended up showing up because um, they were they were all in the blue pod the whole time. So, okay. yep. um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't really think about that too much, but yeah, I ended up going 9-0 in, in day one, which was, I think the first time anyone's done it at NAIC. Uh, that's um, not true. That's not true. Ooh. I got yelled. I know it's been at, done at Nats at. before. Uh, no, <laughs> Adam Hawkins went nine and zero at oh, NAIC did he really? in twenty seventeen. I do Malamar. Believe. So yes, congratulations to Adam, and I apologize <laughs> that uh, that was incorrectly said on the live stream. <laughs> All right, I guess I'm tying Adam up. Then we both have a a nine zero at Which NAIC. Which is tough then. to do. It's the biggest tournament player base wise of the year. All of the best players in the world are at the tournament. Um, you know, and worlds, you're never going to go nine. Oh, cause worlds isn't that many rounds. Worlds is usually six or seven <laughs> rounds. Right. So, yeah. um, really impressive. Absolutely. Nine and oh, it's tough to do it at regionals. I would say NAIC is the toughest tournament to do it at for sure. So congrats to you on that. Um, we don't have to go like round by round or anything, but is there like one or two matches from day one that really stand out to you as like, they were really close, hyper competitive, weren't sure if we were going to win them. Uh, and then you're just able to squeak it out, or um, were you just kind of dominating people? Uh, no, I don't think at all in day one, to be honest. I was mostly pretty... I did lose some games, but pretty convincing victories, I think, overall, for the most part. Um, a lot of my closest matchups, actually, in general, was up against uh, Noah with the playing Palkia. I played them day one, day two, and top eight. Um, and that was a lot of my closest games were up against them, actually. Um, but yeah, besides that, I mean, it was pretty uh yeah i mean it, was, it wasn't like overly dominant but i felt pretty like pretty comfortable in most of my wins i didn't feel like there was like many routes for my opponent to take in a lot of the games i was winning i was like they don't really have that as many that, that many options to actually win i'm just ahead and i'm pretty sure i can just stay ahead this whole game um because the deck is so uh i guess that's another strength that i didn't even think about the deck overall and it just kind of naturally is but you just really rock sandproof with the with the b barrel or double b barrel on board or just having like so many attackers set up on your board they can't go like roxanne kale your only attacker because when you attack with arceus you set up two to three attackers in a single attack so you, you, the deck is super roxanne proof which i didn't really think about as like a, a win condition you're limiting from your opponent um until like right now to be honest it is it was happening the whole time throughout the tournament i was like okay i don't care if they roxanne they can roxanne me if they want it's all i don't care <laughs> and then they would and then it wouldn't matter right. so really and that's like a win condition that a lot of decks look to have as an option but Especially all the Intellion decks, but taking that away from them is actually was actually a pretty big deal overall. When I think kind of kind of think back on it now, yeah. And the Intellion mirrors a lot of times were coming down to the Roxanne plays. And yeah, we actually saw it. I think a few times where an Intellion one Intellion deck would Roxanne the other player and then put up like a one prizer so they couldn't win the next turn, like attack with Intellion that turn, right? And then the other mm -hmm. Intellion player would say like, okay, I can't win this turn because I only have a couple cards, but I can Roxanne them back. 
And so they would return the Roxanne <laughs> and then not win, but, you know, put up an attacker, take out the one prizer. And it, I don't know. It just came. It was like Roxanne back and forth, back and forth, who ends up being the victor. So having a answer to Roxanne definitely seemed pretty good for this weekend, which just naturally occurred because of the support line you had as opposed to Intellian. So, um, yeah, going into day two, you're sitting at 9-0. and We're combining pods. Do you do anything, like, between Friday and Saturday night as far as looking at the list on Pokestats, try to figure out what people were playing? Was there any sort of looking at streamed games to figure out the lists of, like, other players who'd been on stream, or were you just kind of vibing with where you were at 9-0? and no, nothing too extensive. I mean, I like checked the pokey when I went up against someone who I didn't know what they were playing. I checked the pokey stats stats list to see if I could find, um, see if I could find what they were playing. But I never, yeah, I didn't like go to the stream games to try and find lists. I knew like going into uh, day two that I was going up against John round one. And I knew he was playing Palkia, but um, yeah, that was like the extent of uh, my research because <laughs> we I talked to the other people in the other pod at the towards the end of the day, uh, figured out that John was. Uh, 801 so we knew we were playing up against each other first round day two and yeah beat john in that first round and then <clears throat> from there i pretty much knew what everyone else was playing at that point every time i went up against someone i knew exactly what they were they were playing i'm pretty sure at that point so um and i had like yeah i guess just kind of briefly go over my the rest of my day two i played against arkintel in the, the next round and in that matchup i was like trying i was like all right well if i can just squeak out a game we're just going to naturally tie because that set will just never finish if one of us wins a game like if, if we each win if a game game one and game, game two yeah. yeah there's too many challenge cares and that's what happened i game one uh, i actually got off to a pretty good lead in game one but my hand was stuck so i was never able to like find my challenge cares or like set up my board state early i was like attacking with one arceus ko two things before they actually attacked with arceus and then then they got ahead. They got their board state established. Found their challenge cares so much easier than me, and I lost game two. They dead drew, and then game three, we were a couple turns in. I think I could have won actually the game three if we had more time. I was I was definitely ahead, and was ahead on you know challenge cares remaining and all that. But went to time, so like I thought, I took a game. They took a game, tied. Played against Sander. Managed to squeak out a game against Sander in Swiss, and that that gave me a lot more info on how I could play the matchup against Sander actually, um, and what I wanted to do. If should I play them on later on? And then managed to squeak out a game there against Sander in the Swiss and tied that one. And then uh, then it got a little bit rough. Played against uh, Noah. I lost to Noah there. And that one I definitely got uh, a little tilted. I don't know. I just kind of went on tilt after that one, to be honest. And um, yeah, because you come into I, day two at nine and zero, and then you're sitting yeah. on the day at one o two, and then you lose. So you're one one two. I mean, you really only need like one more win and you're locked up yeah. pretty much <laughs> and you can't yeah. close it out. That's got to be really frustrating. Yeah, it definitely was. Yeah, against Noah, I just kind of like that. I didn't misplay against Noah, I don't think, or anything. And like I said, Noah played played the set, the matches really close against them all week. So or all weekend. Um, so against Noah, yeah, I lost that one. I kind of went on tilt. Then I went up against Kaiwin and we go to game three and I definitely misplayed. I think I should have won that set if I played really poorly in game three. I like, should have established a B-barrel like two turns prior and then I just didn't do it. And I was fortunate enough to get like a heads on a uh, paralysis with the Pikachu V. Um, and then for some reason, I tunnel vision on Kaiwan's only out being uh, uh, the catchers or whatever they're called. Um, and then I like retreat the retreat the Pikachu to the Bidoof. And then he just goes boss KO. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. You also play boss. So, yeah, definitely uh, threw pretty extensively against Kaiwan in game three. But uh, managed to, to bring it back in on my third win in a row up against Piper. Playing the Arceus and Talion with 
Metacham also had the Goon Choice Belt, which no one else was really playing at all. The Goon Choice Belt has kind of been a staple in Arceus up until the most recent format, because in Arceus Mirrors, you want to try and get every possible edge you can, and one of the ways you do it is by going attack turn two with the Choice Belt plus the Zigzagoon to actually one-hit KO on Arceus V off the start. So Piper had that in there, uh, and... In this one, I was actually saved by the Thundershock from the Pikachu. There was a turn, like, Piper just pulled off the play, KO my Arceus V, and on my turn, I played a Marnie, drew nothing, and I was like, well, Thundershock, got heads, Piper went draw and pass, and then from there, managed to set up my board, started swinging with Arceus, uh, a Marnie or a Roxanne, a turn or two later, and they were pretty much locked out of the game. They just dead drew off that, and then I was just like, boss, boss away on double Drizzles or something from there to close it out. So uh, I was not feeling super confident going into that final win, and in. it was an unfavorable matchup. Uh, Piper's a great player, and then in game three, it had a rough start. I was already, I was kind of like mentally checked at that point. Then I had to go into a Thundershock. I don't even remember what the name of the attack of the Pikachu is. I think it's Thundershock, but I'm actually not sure. The Whatever. first one, the I think, is Thundershock, and the second one is Fly. Fly, yeah, Fly, yeah. So got a Thundershock heads and was uh, managed to get it back from there, and then get into into top cut. Yes, yeah, so a little bit of a whirlwind <laughs> coming in yeah. at so good. Yeah, I mean, coming in at 9-0 and then you have a favorable matchup round one on stream, you win really quickly round one on stream as well. Oh, yeah, you kind yeah. of from there, no, you only need one more win and it's just like a, a slog to try to, to make it happen. So you get that win. Um, but then you realize that the bubble is a thing that um, yeah. someone is going to miss of all of the people with 35 match points did you were you worried that it was going to be you or did you feel like kind of okay since you know you came in at such a high record you're probably going to have pretty solid resistance right yeah i mean i thought about it for like a second i was like it is possible i whiff here because someone does whiff but like i was like pretty much everyone i played against was in top cut like i played against sander kaiwin kaiwin was the eventual bubble uh, uh brian uh, with the Arcus Italian, john would had a really good record at that point as well ended up top 16 so i was like there should be no way I'm the person to whiff. And I ended up being like fourth or fifth seed. I think I was fifth seed. So mm -hmm. I was not even close to being the person to whiff, I don't think. So um, yeah, I didn't really need to be worried overall. Like I was worried initially when I heard there was a bubble and I was like, okay, now I'm on the potentially on the bubble out. But then I like, thought about it for like a little bit longer and I was like, there's just no way it's going to be me. Like my resistance has to be too good. It's got to be someone else. And yeah, it did end up being Kaiwen to bubble at, uh, bubble at ninth overall. So in top eight, you play against Noah. And at this point, you were 0-1-1 against him in the tournament. Is that right? Well, we were 1-1. I beat him in day one. They beat me in day two. Okay, so you we were 1-1. One one one. One. So now you're coming into top eight. I mean, you know the list. You know any sort of text that they may or may not have. Um, it looks like, just looking over the list really quickly, we didn't have Noah on the stream, so I didn't know their list exactly. But yeah, so they uh, had the, the rare candy is kind of the thing yeah. that's sticking out to me right now. Yeah, the uh, rare candy, mm -hmm. echoing horn, quick shoot. Quick shooting was actually one that was like up and down depending on who you played against sure. for sure. So, so all those things considered, you're going in, you're one and one uh, into top eight, biggest tournament of the year. What's going through your mind? Um, I just like knew it was like they they, they played really well. They had played it really well up to that point. Um, and it was actually funny. I was like, <laughs> up to this point, I don't think Noah had like pretty much everyone else who I played who had played against was playing Paul. had bricked a game. Like Kaiwin bricked a game. Natalie bricked a game. Um, pretty much every Paul K player I'd played up to this point had bricked a game. And even going into the, it was funny going into going into the match against John on day one. I was like, well, he's gonna brick one of the three, so I just gotta win one one of the two. And he just happened um, to brick two. Yeah, <laughs> just having a brick too. Uh, but yeah, Noah hadn't bricked a game yet, so I was like, all right, maybe Noah can get the brick fight. I don't think Noah bricked any of the games, though. We had some 
pretty good. Oh no, one of the games, no, it did draw pretty slow. One of the games, no, it did draw pretty slow. But yeah, no, I know knew Noah was gonna play it well. I knew their list pretty well. Um, so yeah, I was just like, I mean, it's just another Palkia deck. I have the advantage overall. You know, as long as I can draw decently, it should be uh it should be uh should be a victory. But yeah, it was a super close set. Um all three games, I think I remember I said like one of them I think they drew a little bit slow, but besides that, like it was a pretty good set overall. They played really well. Um and yeah, managed to get the get the dub there over another Palkia, thankfully. After the after going 0-2 against Palkia up to that point. Um that felt good. And then in top four, you see you are playing up against Sander with his Mewtwo v Union Mill Tank. You tied him in Swiss. You kind of had had an opportunity at that point to figure out what exactly was going on with the deck. And I'm sure it's also one of those things where, you know, after round two or whatever, people are like, did you see what Sander is playing? And like he was on stream round <laughs> two. So I'm sure there had been talks about like strategies and how to beat it and stuff like that. Um, what was kind of your game plan going in based on all the talks you had had and also your tie with him in Swiss? Uh, what was your game plan going in based on that? And then also like, you know, how did it play out? Were you able to play to that game plan? Yeah, so I mean, the game plan was basically just draw draw a prize card every single turn if possible, um, and then also pressure the Snorlaxes sometimes over just KOing the active even if I have the option of it because eventually, eventually Sander would be forced into a double mill tank board, and if I the, the sooner I can do that would mean Sander had that much less time to actually as, establish kind of the loop at the end of the game and make it be as clean and like be able to access the cards they want to access to be able to. You know, set up their game plan um, as soon as possible, right? So if you like KO, if you stop them from being able to use Snorlax a couple times, like I think in that game I bossed Snorlax uh, once or twice, I believe. I could be wrong on that, but I, my goal was to just like pressure the Snorlaxes. Basically, take it, take the KOs on the Snorlaxes, knock those out, remove those from play, make so they don't get as many Gourmandizes as possible, so they set many less cards. Which and means you also that... like marnied away several. Yeah. Like you, you, he would like have a Snorlax active and no other Snorlax on the bench, and you would go marnie knockout so like he yeah. is gonna have a hard time responding as well yeah exactly and then like limit how many cards he gets access to every single turn was basically the game plan and then eventually it comes down to the mill tanks but because he's had less time to kind of set up his board state you know two phoebes can get through two mill tanks uh and then crobat plus b barrel i was just hoping would be enough to get through a third mill tank and i like basically knew the list at the point like there was no way for sander to like disrupt my board state like there was no way for him to stop me from being able to use phoebe twice or they, there was a way to stop me from attacking with Crobat. There was the Parasol, but if I could get around the Parasol, the Crobat would put, do some poison damage. B-Barrel could get up there to start to swing to do some damage. And then, yeah, a couple uh, a couple tails in a row to start off with was also pretty big in the early, the early turns. But yeah, if I can squeak out one game in the matchup, then it becomes very hard for Sander to win from there. Because for Sander to win two games before time is up without me drawing a single prize card in the third, or being ahead on the prize exchange in the third game, because uh, that's what Sander was going for in the third game was like Turbo Mewtwo to just start swinging for 300 damage as soon as possible. So um, wouldn't have worked for how well I drew in the third game. Like I was pretty much set up. I was actually waiting for Sander to put the Mewtwo on the board because I would have Starbirth for the Crobat plus the boss and just want it KO'd immediately. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was it would have been really tough. So I was, as soon as I squeaked out that first game, I knew I mean, it takes it takes the deck a while to win. So I knew like just like going to sit there and just like make game two last as long as possible like i was just max ballooning over and over again stopping the mill tank damage from mm -hmm. happening i was like i'm just gonna do this as long as i can and then you know at the end of game two sander brought out the mewtwo and cleaned up two of my my balloons but um wasn't enough time in game three once i got like that first prize card or two right yes and it's no secret that these type of control slash stall decks have a hard time in top cut because of yeah 
the way that single elimination rules work. If you are tied one-to-one games in game three and time is called, after plus three turns, whoever is ahead on prizes is the winner. And of course, control install decks generally don't take prizes. Sanders deck is obviously capable of taking prizes, but it's usually not doing it until like the end of the game and only in certain matchups. Uh, as far as like how you would optimally wish to play the deck. So yeah, that's definitely like, it's like a known thing, right? Yeah. Going in, like I know that that's something you're aware of when you're sitting down to play your top four match. Um, and so how do you balance like knowing the rule and knowing how time favors you in that spot, but then also at the same time playing within the rules and not trying to slow play or stall out for the, like, how do you, you know what I mean? Like the clock management without stalling right egregiously i mean to just like go to what i did in game two is draw max balloon draw max balloon marty when i felt like it was appropriate i was actually looking for an opportunity to maybe marty deck out sander but i think they were aware of uh <laughs> aware yeah, of that as a concept win condition. <laughs> yeah because sander had five cards a couple times and i was like is it possible that sander ever goes down i was also thinking is it is it correct for me to like ever marty like deck them out but that's like i knew sander had a way to recover cards and i actually think i mean there was one uh Silene that I think if Sandra had gotten double tails, I actually would they would have decked out. Um yes. in game two. I think there was one like they, they needed one of those two heads. They went two Silenes in a row and I believe got double tails, double tails. And that last Silene they played ended up getting uh, a heads or a double heads, got the pal pad back and was able to reset from there. But um yeah, I was looking for an opportunity to maybe play a Marnie to deck him out. But I don't think yeah, I don't think Sandra was ever going to give that to me. They had five cards a couple times and I was I was like trying to think in my head, does it ever does it ever make sense to put them down to zero cards right now? Because they would, you know marnie up to four plus draw for turn i was like i couldn't think of a reason to so i never did it i don't know if that would have put more pressure on uh sander to have to make a play more aggressively so maybe i should have done it there um but yeah i was just trying to hold my marnies as much as possible just make sure like if sanders uh for some reason if sanders game plan ended up having to be to try and deck me out that um you know i would have plenty of more like i just wasn't playing my marnies that aggressively in the mid game in the in the game two and i was just trying to max balloon as much as possible just to prevent that damage from the mill tank because what, what happened at the end of game two is that sander eventually built up enough damage on both of my pikachus and then went into the mewtwo and used the attack that put 16 damage counters on the board yeah mewtwo's uh, right leg is a little too strong yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then ko'd both of my things i was like yeah okay um and then yeah but then yeah going into game three because i was sitting there and max ballooning the whole time making sure i didn't deck out saving my marnies to make sure i wouldn't deck out going into game three there just wasn't enough time for sander to ever set up a a reasonable like sander could never win on like was never gonna be able to like apply the deck out strategy or anything similar to what they did in game two but there wasn't even enough time for sander to potentially like go for like a turbo mewtwo um, or try and cheese a knockout with a mill tank so yeah it just wasn't ever enough time to really do anything there and so it's pretty easy to to take the dub once it got to got to game three so it does go to game three you end up getting the win um would have been a little interesting if Sander had left just a mill tank in play because yeah. you did prize your Phoebe. And yeah. uh, maybe it's something, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. Maybe it's something that Sander, his win condition was to play to you prizing the Phoebe since he started mill tank and try to just attack for route for, you know, 30 damage or whatever, 10 damage, and try to take a KO with that before you're ever able to build up enough to KO with crowbat or beaverell but it's still it's pretty tough for him regardless right in that situation yeah i mean yeah because like even if you do get aggressive attacks with the mill tank not being able to see any cards with the snorlaxes at all or be able to go through your deck at all like all i have to do is set up the crowbat v max and start poisoning you and then go into b barrels and i should be able to get a prize card first even if my uh even 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 
with my um, Phoebe being prized. Yeah, obviously the Phoebe's not prized there. You just kind of lose no matter what. So I think Sander went the uh, went a different aggressive route where they went for trying to just get the Mewtwo out as soon as possible, uh, and then trying to start to swing with that aggressively, um, which didn't end up. There wasn't definitely wasn't enough time to pull that off. So yeah, probably. I mean, in the situation, going with the lone tank definitely would have worked <laughs> potentially. I think I still had the advantage. Like between Crobat plus B Barrel, I think I would have been able to get a knockout. But it first. might have given Sander but, a slightly uh, better chance. But it's yeah, hard for him to know that like it's like, is it worth it to play to that out that Phoebe is prized, right? And yeah. He it's determined definitely a tough to call. Yeah. So okay. the chance of it being prized is like, you know, so low, like ninety five percent of the time you're losing that game because it's not going to be prized or whatever. True. Okay, so you win that top four match. It was definitely a very exciting one. Uh, Sander obviously played the most unique deck at the tournament, so congrats yeah. to him on getting top four with such a cool deck. We'll talk a little bit more about his deck and strategy when we get to it in the meta recap, but for now, we're talking about Azul's run still into the finals. So did you stick around and watch the other top four match play out because you were on for the first top four match? Yeah. No, I didn't stick around at all. Just kind of left the venue, went to go get food. But it wasn't very long, I don't think. I think, uh, didn't it, like, Bradner donk them, like, two games in a row or something? He got the donk in the first game and then just kind of outpaced him really heavy in game two. Uh, yeah. It, it didn't. It was not a super long set. Um, but, yeah, so Bradner ends up getting the win over Brian Kim. Uh, there's kind of a little bit of a cool story there as well because Brian's first tournament was, uh, like, costa mesa regionals um in 2018 i think which i actually think is a tournament you won by the way um where um but he was in seniors and he played against yeah. bradner in top four and bradner ended up winning <laughs> the tournament so it's kind yeah. of like a little bit of a cool story there of like okay now i'm playing against this guy again i played him at my first tournament we're in a similar spot top four playing for a final spot but brian just wasn't quite able to uh, get things rolling in the optimal way isaiah ends up winning and moving on to the finals and he had a couple of uh, little choice words in regards to <laughs> you and his winner's interview uh where he said quote uh, i believe verbatim quote i'm playing up against some twitch streamer i think i've watched his stream <laughs> a couple of times should be a pretty easy win for me thoughts as I mean, it was not, unfortunately for Brandner, it was not as easy as uh, they thought it was going to be. Forgot about that, the, you know, Palkia bricks every one of three games. So <laughs> forgot about that one. And then, <laughs> and then that did come up in the third game. Um, Obviously, just a bit of fun. Uh, Zul yeah, and course, Isaiah are friends. And uh, yeah, so what kind of pr preparation? Once you saw Isaiah was going to be your opponent in the finals, playing for. 10k you know a 5k money match effectively and also the title of international champion uh, isaiah is uh, someone who's played in three championship sundays in a row he got second place at la uh, at naic in 2018 in seniors he won naic in seniors in 2019 playing in masters finals in 2022 um so yeah how, how did you prepare did you just get kind of rested up or uh did you look at his list did you guys what 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 what, what did you uh do to get ready I didn't do anything super special. Like, um, yeah, got the list and then just kind of knew I knew like the the sixty at that point because Brandon had been on stream so many times. So like, it wasn't easy. It wasn't hard to get uh, to get the sixty. Um, so just knew the sixty. It's still just Palkia. There's nothing really to test against. I did kind of uh, one one. They didn't play a lot of basic Pokemon. 
uh, there was only nine basic Pokemon total. So I made a, an extreme mental note of that while I was playing throughout the games. And I was like, I could just like, I know I can just limit his damage. Like once, especially in the, and in game two, um, I had an option of boss KOing something or KOing the Zigzagoon. Um, and I chose to KO the Zigzagoon there because I knew how much it could limit their damage output or limit his damage output. So I was like, I'm going to KO this Zigzagoon on, because there was three scoop up nests left. I was like, if I let this thing go back to the bench, like who knows how much damage it'll actually rack up through scoop up nets later on. I was like, I'm just gonna I'm gonna KO this basic Pokemon here, remove that from play, remove away the the ping damage. There's no quick shooting in the list. So KO that. And I was like, and now I have the option to just kind of take boss KOs. Like maybe after I KO a Palkia with a big Pikachu, I could go back into Arceus and just take boss KOs on some some Sobbles or Drizzles or whatever, and then just kind of run them out of Pokemon. Never like once you take four knockouts, they can't fill their bench anymore. They they only play nine Pokemon. So once you take four four knockouts, they're sitting with four bench Pokemon for the rest of the game. So like that's something I kept in mind um throughout the whole time. And once I KO'd the goon, actually, I knew at that point it was impossible. Uh, and it was in game two, I believe. It was impossible for Bradner to actually KO my Crobat or my Flying Pikachu because they they cap out at 290 with the Choice Belt. Um, so there's no way, even if I fill my bench, and that's what I did in game two, I believe. I put the second B-Barrel down, I think, or second B-Doof. I was like, well, if I KO the Zigzagoon, put down second B-Doof, they still can't KO unless they want to go into an Aqua Bullet, but their V-Star power had already been used at that point, I think. So I was like, they're just two-hit KOing my Crobat or my Pikachu for the rest of the game. Like, these are just going to, they can't want to KO these anymore. So yeah, so, the, the the fact that they played so few bench Pokemon, I definitely made a. He played, played so few Pokemon, I made a, a big note of, for sure. So, game one did not go great for you. You go second, you lose the flip, which is obviously going to be somewhat of a factor. Your deck is one that can handle going second, because you can pull off turn one Trinity Charge and just load up a Pikachu, um, or get, you know, whatever else set up. Um, you had to play Crobat down, I think, if I remember right, in that first game as well, and... Isaiah just had a nuts turn two where he gets cross switcher hydro break KO your Arceus <laughs> with an energy on it. Uh, when that yeah. happens, like you had to have a pretty good feeling like that game was not really going to go your way most of the time. Yeah, no, I was, that one felt like it was pretty much over pretty early. I think I stuck around for a little bit, tried to string mm -hmm. some Marnies together did, or something, yeah. hoping something would stick. But I think I also on that first game, I could have put a path to the peak and play and chose not to. And I think I probably just should have. Just limit the draw power from the Greninja, which is a huge deal Oh, yeah, deal it was them. also funny, too, in that game, he prized his one training card. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the turn where it was like you could have put the path in play, but you wanted to have a Starbirth option the yeah. next turn, so you didn't put it in play. Um, but, like, he would have not been able to respond to it because his court was not there. So, I mean, it's, yeah. like, one of those things where, obviously, maybe looking back and having perfect knowledge of prize cards, you could say this was correct, but in the moment, you don't have that knowledge, so it's hard to know right yeah i think i probably should have like when i look back on that i think i probably should put the path of the peak in play it's kind of like a lot of my games actually were like in a lot of matchups you want to be aggressive with path of the peak but i had so many games against pocket where i just could not find path of the peak when i wanted it i think it was like the same thing in game three where it's like i marnied and i was like all right path of the peak here is insane i got four of them in the deck and i was like nope no path of the peak all right that happened so often to me where i'd play the researcher play the marnie and be like well i can't starbirth for it anymore at this point but if i draw into it Pretty good. I play four of them, and I just like never would see them. So, <laughs> Path to the Peak definitely eluded me a little bit throughout the weekend overall. I think, but didn't end up mattering too much in the in the long run. So you lose game one. You're in the finals. There's a lot on the line. I mean, obviously the title, playing for five thousand uh, dollars between first and second, the difference on the prize money. You lose game one. How do you keep your composure in that spot? I mean, I lost a lot of game ones. I lost a couple game ones throughout the the weekend. It's not the first time I've ever done it. Lost a game one and have come back in a series. So I wasn't like too uh, 
too discouraged or anything by it, really. I was like, all right, let's go into the next game. I get to go first. And then I was like, well, hopefully this game he draws reasonably. And then I was like, they draw, they dead draw like one of every three games. So, or they draw poorly, like very poorly one of three games. So I was like, maybe game three is where it finally catches him. And it, and it did. Like that was actually went through my head. I was like, okay, hopefully he draws fine this game and I beat him. And then hopefully that third game three is the game where he draws poorly. And then I mulliganed uh four times yep. <laughs> and i was like well it's not this game hopefully <laughs> hopefully i i draw marnie path and every mulligan i had before i drew a basic had marnie path i was like okay I was like as i was like flip i like deal my cards out face down and then i like pick them up one at a time every time i was picking them up i was like oh dte path marnie quick ball I was like this is great and then i would see no no arceus no peak and i'm like okay going back in and four times in a row i basically did, i think three of the four hands had that combination of cards of like they didn't always have DT, but they had like quick ball, path, Marnie, three of the four mulligans it. And the fourth hand was like, okay, Arceus, peak, research, VMAX, V-Star. I was like, uh, I was like, okay, it's like not bad, uh, but I wish I was like, I wish I had a Marnie in this hand because he's going to get four mulligans. And then Radner draws the mulligans, uses Greninja's ability, and goes attach pass. And I'm like, okay, I can Marnie next turn then. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> like, that was absolutely wild, by the way. He starts the game with 11 cards. Six cards from his opening hand, plus his basic Pokemon. So six cards in his opening hand. Four mulligans. Draw for turn. 11 cards. Capacious Bucket goes and gets two water energies. Concealed yep. cards for two more. He sees 13 unique cards on his first turn and finds no basic Pokemon and no <laughs> out to basic Pokemon. Like, that is ridiculous. Like, that should never happen. And he just goes attach Greninja Pass. You have to have been, yeah. like, fist pumping mentally, right? I would, yeah, I was pretty high, but I was like, well, I was like, well, that still counts. One of three games they draw poorly. And that was, it was still, even though four mulligans later, it still worked out. They still drew, Radner still drew poorly one of three games. So I was like, all right, fine. That's good. I'll take that. Especially after I had like a pretty poor game one, I was like, or they had, or Bradner's had a really aggressive, a really good draw in game one. I was like, okay, I'll take that trade off. And then, yeah, they were still still able to set up pretty well from there. Had the turn three attack with the Greninja to get things going. And I had I had a choice between uh, Boss KO Greninja or Marnie. And I went with the Marnie over the Boss KO Greninja. Looking back on it, Boss KO Greninja might have set me up a little bit better. But I knew if I go probably for the Boss KO on the Greninja, Bradner's going to have the boss bring up my peak and punch it first. So I didn't really love the idea of taking that trade off. And I was like, they have a huge hand. Who knows what they're going to be able to set up on this next turn. Um, I kind of don't want to give, you know, Bradner the full, even if they weren't able to use all those cards on the first turn, that means there's a lot of supporters or cross switchers or this or that in the hand. I was like, I, Marnie feels like a little bit better here. Cause if that, if I can't Marnie next turn, that's where it could get really bad because I had to starbirth for the Marnie between Marnie and boss. And I was like, if I don't get the Marnie now, I might not be able to morning next turn. I might have to research instead. And then who knows where the board develops from there for Bradner. So I want yeah. the morning immediately, just like limit their options. I know at this point I'm still ahead. And then hopefully I can just keep pulling further and further. And especially after Bradner used the, uh, the keep calling and only got one Sobble. I was like, okay, you know, there's like so few basics on board. And because, you know, a lot of the ways that Bradner gets the basics into play is battle VIP pass. He only uses on the first turn. I was like, you know, if I keep spamming Marnie from here, He's got four dead cards in his to, deck, yeah. Yeah, and might just not be able to set up a board of a bench full of Pokemon ever in this game and ever take any big one hit KO. So I was like, okay, just go with the Marnie. Keep trying to pressure with the peaks after because I knew the Greninja play was probably gonna happen on the next turn. That's the turn I was really looking forward towards finding a path to the peak. I was like, I'm gonna play this Marnie. Let's find a path. Did not find the path. And I was like, all right, well, no path. Hopefully it gets hopefully I don't get too punished for like whiffing the path here and they don't have too big of a turn because of it. But yeah, being able to use like Greninja's ability for free every single turn is scary. So I was really hoping to find path more aggressively, but besides that, it worked out. So 
Yeah, and then things end up going pretty heavily in your favor. You get two peaks set up before... I think he, like, had taken two prizes, or... Well, I don't even remember exactly, but maybe... I don't even remember. Did he even take a prize in the third game? I don't oh. even remember. <laughs> it was not. He possibly didn't know. Because he he bossed and hit your peak for like a ton of damage. Or not bossed. Cross switcher hit your peak for a ton yeah. of damage. And was like. there That turn he was like one combo piece away from just actually yeah. clearing the VMAX off the board. Which would have made the game super close. But he doesn't get there and just hits your peak. You go back into Arceus and then you set up another peak. So you've got two peaks set up. You go down to just two prizes left and he um misses an attack that turn and just retreats yeah. into manaphy and passes you don't yeah. have boss right there but even still you're gonna knock out this manaphy and go to one you have to know i'm a north american international champion yeah right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i set up double b barrel double peak double arceus i think i just filled my board at that point it's like it didn't matter i was like if i just set up two peaks i just win so i just went all out set up two peaks um, and I was like, yeah, there's nothing. I couldn't think of a route for Bradner to take. I had the Charon's Care in hand. So even if the B-Barrel got bossed up, I think, then I just pick up the pick up the Arceus, attach the DTE, retreat the Arceus back to a peak and win the game on the next turn. So yeah, at that point, I pretty much knew it was, it was all over. At first, I, I, initially, I was like, I thought it was all over maybe once, uh, you know, once Bradner had the Greninja pass. But then it started to get a little bit closer uh, on those next couple turns. So it wasn't quite over right then. But yeah, once uh, once Bradner whiffed that knockout, I knew it was, it was, all, it was all done and I was going to be the be the champion and so he you knock out his manaphy he looks at his board realizes he can't win extends the hand shakes your hand you're north american international champion you get the title that you i know have been fighting for and it was a really cool moment i was really happy for you and i know you had a bunch of friends in the crowd cheering you on a bunch of people watching at home all the the rat pack running thick in the chat <laughs> i know was cheering you on uh so it must feel amazing man congratulations i'm super pumped for you Appreciate it. Yeah, it does. It does feel great. It feels good to get the big win. Of course, like I said, just looking forward to the next one. Though. Looking forward towards towards Worlds, and then we're looking forward towards the next season after that. Always looking ahead. Okay, so let's take a moment to talk a little bit about the meta for NAIC. I think that it shaped up pretty similarly to what most people expected as far as the overall what decks were played it was pretty heavy into palkia one thing i yeah. was really i mean, maybe not shocked by but i thought that there would have been a little bit more variety amongst what the top players were playing but it was like i think if you looked at the top 16 in a top 22 europe top 8 la and top 8 ocic or o uh, oceania sorry i think if you looked at all of the like day two ranked players it was really heavily skewed towards Palkia. Like, pretty much all of those players, like 80-plus percent of those players were playing Palkia, it felt like. Yeah, except for maybe the Americans um, or North America. I feel like they were on the Arkantel. A little a lot bit of them more were, of that, yes. You know, Pram, Tanner, Kulas, like all of them. Like, played that as well. As, and yeah. uh, um, you know, Piper as well played Arceus, so. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of them were on the a lot of the North American players were on Arceus, but it was uh, Inteleon, I guess, is what you could say. Like sure. maybe almost a hundred percent of those players were playing Inteleon in their decks, which makes sense. Super strong card, but then you know you have to play up against. It's very, it's a very predictable call to know you're just playing up against the mirror match. Inteleon mirror matches all day long. <laughs> Once you get into the day two, it was like all Inteleon all the time. But yeah, it did show up. I didn't think it was going to be this popular. I did expect. You know the crew, the the Kulas, Pram, that crew 
um, to run it back. I did expect him to run it back. I didn't expect a double ordinary rod, double pal pad. That was kind of a surprise. Um, and actually, one of them, you know, Varesco played that that list and actually made top eight. So, and there was three Arcus. Arcus Italian had the best, rep, the biggest representation in top eight, right? Of three, right? Uh, it was three Palkias. Th- three Arcantel, three Palkia, and then okay, so they the tied. new two, and then you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, it showed up big. It showed up bigger than I thought it would, but I did expect it specifically from that crew and then i knew some other people of course like piper yeah like you mentioned piper played it other people would pick it up as well because the deck's the deck's still pretty strong and i think people have found the biggest thing that people have to figure out is just like how do i beat palkia and i think the, the the strategy that the strategies that people have come up with definitely is solid against palkia i still think palkia is favored in that matchup overall because you just have you get to fill up your bench whereas the arceus player has to go like arceus arceus sobble so like there's a pretty big difference in options when you get to play with five bench pokemon compared to two so so yeah, Arceus, Intellian, and Palkia V-Star, definitely the most popular choice of the top players. And I think that is largely on the back of just how strong the Intellian engine is. Yeah. Um, the more I've thought about it, I mean, it was a, a few months ago, I think it was like a Jake Gearhart tweet where he said it was the best uh, support line in the history of the game. It really just might be. It is kind of ridiculous yeah. how strong it is. And especially now with the addition of Irida, I saw Bradner tweeted after the event, like <laughs> uh, a copy of Irida that literally as a joke just said, this is a crazy card. And it just says, do whatever you want because it gives you access to literally your entire deck. You play an Irida. If you have a couple Sobbles in play, you can get any Pokemon, you can get any stadium, you can get any energy, you can get any supporter, you can get anything out of your deck to set up for future turns. Yeah. I'm not going to let Bradner get away with that too much though. Bradner did say at Milwaukee that Irida was terrible. He did. A trash card and did not run it at all in uh in their milwaukee list and i believe only like a couple days before the event decided that oh wait irida's pretty good so, yeah irida is very good in the deck for sure um <laughs> radner is recently a uh, a believer in the irida converts, yes yes yeah when you combo that with inteleon it's, it's just you get everything and it's it's not even like you're getting you're not even almost like consistently getting that much more than you'd get off like if you just played a research for turn but you know, you know, you're getting it right. As long as you like have basic Pokemon, like that's the only thing that could that scary that can happen. And that's where I walked away with a lot of really easy dubs against Palkia is when they would go like Palkia Pass. You know, on uh, following up with Irida to a Palkia Pass is not yes. very good. No, not <laughs> but if you at if you all. get if you get like two or three basic Pokemon or a Battle VIP Pass on your first turn or Irida for Battle VIP Pass, your follow up Iridas basically guarantee you what you would want for like a perfect turn on every following turn from there. So. It's pretty powerful once you've established like some, uh, even just a couple basic Pokemon. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy for sure. One of the best supporters fits just super nicely with the best deck. Okay, so we've got the Palkia, we've got the Arceus, and then kind of the big surprise, something nobody would have expected. Good old Mewtwo V Union. So there's a <laughs> few players on this deck. I believe most of the deck actually. Um, came from mace who he was kind of like the one that was like okay this concept is really good and obviously sander one of the best control players i'm sure he was really drawn to it they're both from the netherlands so i'm sure they talked a little bit and figured out what they wanted to play and then i think a couple american players were on it as well dean nazam and Britt pibus dean made day two i think Britt just made out uh missed out excuse me uh on day two though was like uh, maybe lost the win and then i don't remember 100 percent but uh yeah Mewtwo v union so uh i know that it was a big surprise for me like as a caster we're always out there trying to find like what unique decks players brought 
Um, we see a V union in play. That's obviously going to raise alarm bells <laughs> um, <laughs> as something like, okay, we got to try to see if we can figure out a way to get this on. And it did get on in, uh, in round number two, but yeah. So as a player though, did you hear about like rumblings? Sometimes like the secret deck or whatever for an event will get out the night before and like someone leaks and you hear a little bit of like, okay, did you hear that they're playing this stall deck? Uh, <laughs> was there anything like that for you or uh, your group that you played the flying Pikachu deck with or like how, and what was it like in the early rounds as well of like trying to figure out what's going on in this list? Yeah. I mean, we heard pretty early that, that, uh, San and we, of course, everyone knows it as Sanders deck and like, everyone's gonna be like, Oh, Sanders playing Mewtwo V union. But yeah, Meese was, I believe the one who initially, who came up with, uh, that just the Mewtwo V union is a really good Pokemon right now that can't be KO'd and heals 200 damage off itself. So, um, it's kind of like an infinitely stalling Pokemon there. Um, I'm sure Sander, if they didn't come up, uh, or, or, you know, if Meese didn't find the Mewtwo V union, I'm sure Sander would have played some kind of mill tank stall type deck, of course, but, um, yeah, we heard about it. Of course, we all heard about it as Mises deck or, or as Sanders deck. Um, and we were like, all right, well, what, what does it do? And they was like, well, it just heals 200 damage every turn. And we're like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, and so for us, like for my crew specifically, we we're like, oh, we have Crobat VMAX. We want to KO it. Um, so my initial game plan, what, what we talked about is like, if you hit them, we didn't fully know what was in the list. We're like, if you hit them, all you have to do is because to like turbo through their list, they have to play Snorlax. So they can't hold their crushing hammer. So I was like, okay, all, all we have to do then is just sit there and draw a, uh, draw Trinity Nova over and over again. And then when they bring the Mewtwo V Union in play, you go Marnie and then load up all the energy on the Crobat and then one hit KO the Mewtwo on the next turn. Uh, but there was mill tanks in there, of course. So that made things a little bit trickier. We did have Phoebe. And yeah, Mewtwo wasn't even like, because uh, Caleb played against uh, Sander, I believe, in round like four or five. And Caleb was just like, they don't even use the Mewtwo in the matchup. They don't even need it. You just like, they just mill tank. And it's like, and Caleb almost beat Sander, I believe, in game two of their set, lost game one, and was just like, yeah, if you just be aggressive, you just start attacking, and then whenever you find Phoebe, play Phoebe, kill KO Miltank, um, it seems like it's pretty close. And, you know, after playing against Sander twice and taking a game each time, yeah, that's basically, if I didn't have the Phoebe, I would definitely lose, but with the Phoebe, just enough to kind of get through and put the pressure on consistently enough to try and get six prize cards and at least a game in a set. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. That's, a, that's what happened for uh, for at least my crew when we heard about the deck. So I just want to talk about kind of the concept of the deck a little bit. I've got it pulled up on the screen for anyone watching on YouTube, but if you are listening, just exactly how it works. Of course, Mewtwo V Union's big HP 310, very difficult to KO. It is weak to dark, and darkness-type Pokemon aren't as popular as they were, you know, with Mew VMAX's decline. There's not really Hoopas running around, um, Crobat VMAX really only in Azul's deck, and not even every flying Pikachu was playing Crobat VMAX. We had people playing yep. Gasuian, Decidueye, uh, and Beedrill as well for this event, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, so big HP, can't really get KO'd easily. It does pretty well against Arceus and Palkia decks, it feels like, because they have a clear damage cap. Um, you just heal the damage. And then what you can also do is play Avery to limit against Palkia. You limit their bench, so you're limiting their damage output. And then you eventually get to a turn where you play Cook to heal 70 <laughs> damage, so you don't have to heal the full 200. We actually saw Sander do this on stream against Justin Bakari, where he went Cook, healed a bunch of damage, went down to like 50 left, knew that there's no way Justin can KO him, and then he uses Mewtwo's final burn attack which just deals 300 damage and knocks out the palkia and starts to take prize cards and eventually wins by taking prizes now they did end up tying that game it was round three on stream and uh, sander just opened like a dead hand game one uh and justin ended up getting a pretty crazy turn with like 
Zigzagoons plus um he got like Zigzagoons, Nets, plus Radiant Greninja to KO and Evil Tall and Meowth in play. The only two Pokemon Sander had <laughs> and ended up winning the game. So uh, it was also funny. I talked to Justin after that game and I was asking him, like, did you know what any of these things did? And he was like, I had no idea what was going on. He said I, he had this chef card. I had to figure out what the chef did <laughs> talking about cook. <laughs> And he said he thought that when the Mewtwo came into play that it just put three energies on itself. He was like, this card is broken. Why has nobody played this before? Didn't quite realize exactly, like, (laughs) how it went. But, uh, yeah, obviously, I mean, he ends up winning a game and takes a tie in uh, what would be otherwise an unfavorable matchup. Mewtwo V Union feels pretty good against Arceus and Palkia. Yeah, definitely. Actually, that's, like, something we were trying to figure out as well. It's like, how did they get the energy on the Mewtwo? We're, like, theorizing they had to play Raihan the turn they put it into play, but we forgot about the union gain. energy, yeah, the union gain attack to get the energy. And then once we figured that out, we're like, oh, this deck is just sick, because you just, like, put it down, net your active, send it up, attach energy, attack, get two energy on it, and then when you get hit, you heal, you hit, you heal, and repeat. Uh, and then, of course, the, the final part of the deck that is super important is the infinite loop or yes. almost infinite loop of team yells cheer pal pad infinite and, loop asterisk uh, <laughs> yeah and uh what's the other card uh silene. silene silene so you can team yells cheer to put silenes plus whatever other supporters you want avery's team uh fl- was it flare ground not flare ground what is it the one called flannery's whatever you need to like get for the situation maybe the cook put those back in your deck and then you can use Silene to put back Palpad. And if you get two heads, you can put back Palpad plus Palpad. And then the Palpad could get you Silene plus Team Yell's Cheer. And then you can Team Yell's Cheer for Silene. And this, so there's like a, you can loop between Team Yell's Cheer and Silene basically. Um, or you could just like Silene loop Palpad if you wanted to as well. You don't even need to get the Team Yell's Cheer involved, but the Team Yell's Cheer is a lot more like safe. Yes. You're not, you're not, you're like, it, it takes away a lot of the variance of the uh, yeah, flipping coins. Yeah, I think the team yells cheer is like necessary for, because it's an infinite asterisk, like I said, because you could just flip a bunch of tails, which will yeah. happen in Pokemon. <laughs> and so this, the team yells cheer makes it so you have to flip even more tails for yourself to ever deck out. And we actually almost yeah. saw Sander deck out against you in top four. Um, where it came to, he flipped a ton of tails in game one, like a ton of tails. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it came down to it, but he ended up getting the last clutch heads, puts the pow pad back and then pow pad gets Silene and, uh, yells cheering. And then it's like, okay, he's even more turns away. I think it's like 20 tails in a row or something like that is necessary for you to actually deck out with the deck. I think me said. Uh, I think I think Mies maybe said eight. Eight is like the number. Oh, okay. it, Like depending on how the situations develop, like eight would be the number you'd have to get in a row or something. But even then, you're not like guaranteed to lose. I don't know. It's a, it's a lot. It's it's basically infinite for like this for for a tournament. Even with 15 rounds in it, best two out of three throughout all those games, you're very unlikely to ever deck yourself by hitting tails, right? Like you're pretty safe in a tournament. You know, you have to get pretty unlucky. Uh, And if the deck is as good as it is, then you could still manage to take a loss, right? Like Sander didn't lose any games. Uh, And I know one of the losses that Mies ran into was against Grant, where Mies messed up and put too many energy in play. And then Grant came through with a Starmie and one hit KO'd uh, (laughs) the Mewtwo. So yeah, um, yeah, when played very, very well, the deck seems, unless it's teched against... I mean, I they Mies and Sander and them who all, all who put the time in on the deck definitely had the deck of the tournament for sure. They had the best deck in the tournament. I don't even think it's like debatable or close. It didn't win, but like if you ask anyone, they definitely had the deck of the tournament. Uh, and I was only barely able to you know squeak out that win against Sander because I just had a Phoebe 
for Miltank in the Blissey, yeah. right? If I if I had played the Shauna instead, or just like did it, was like, all right, screw it, I don't care about beating Blissey Miltank, and I just want to have an, had an answer for Sandra. So very conveniently, I had the Phoebe <laughs> in there to give me a chance, even just a chance, right? It isn't. It's not like an auto win because I have the Phoebe. So definitely had the deck of the tournament for sure. Yeah, congratulations to them on the finish. All of them did pretty, uh, both uh, Mies and um sander did pretty well i don't i think dean was like outside the top 32 i think he still did still get top 64 though um but yeah very cool deck absolutely you mentioned that this is the type of deck that if people aren't teching for it's really good but once it's a known quantity it becomes a little bit easier to manage because it is very much like you can tech for it right like uh or you can play a deck that beats this um you know if you play something like a like the dark intellion deck and you've got like galarian moltres v in there you're gonna do pretty good against this deck it feels like you know you've got solid answers to mill tank you can one shot the mewtwo v union um i don't know where how do you think the format develops as far as like respecting this deck it's definitely as, as far as like online tournaments go it's probably worth respecting this deck for a little bit right yeah probably and maybe even pass that as well headed into worlds we've got a lot of time i one of the things to think about as well is are people going to forget about this deck going into worlds because that's how something that they? happens sometimes is people How sometimes just forget they, that decks exist and are like, well, why would I worry about that deck? Or like maybe they'll think about it for a second, but no, but nobody plays that right now. And then all of a sudden, you know, it pops up because the deck is better than people thought. I think Arkintel was a good example of that, not for just this tournament, but also Milwaukee. It's like, oh, wait, this is a deck. Or even Arkers are out on that one Milwaukee, right? Oh, this is still a deck, right? And no one was respecting that deck at all going into Milwaukee. And this is one of those decks that's not going to be that heavily played, um, even if people are respecting it. So it's like, do you really want to commit deck space to be able to beat it and then i don't know how good the techs are at beating this like like i think i feel like the deck that i played you know between the crobat and the the phoebe you put yourself in a pretty good spot but i don't actually know what palkia decks or arceus intellion decks could do to give themselves a favorable matchup against the mewtwo I mean, there's definitely some testing to be done or some research to be done i'm sure there's cards out there that give you put you in a pretty good spot even just a card that would like mill cards from your opponent's deck is pretty uh, annoying. Sanders said they were scared of playing against the water box deck with the Crabominable that just mills too. Like, that sounds really <laughs> annoying to play against. You yeah. could just, like, turbo... You could just aggro Crabominable probably in that matchup and you'd beat the Mewtwo deck because you have so many cards you don't want to get discarded. And then when you get down to the bottom of your deck and you're using the Team Yells Cheer Silene stuff, if they're discarding two of those cards every time, you're going to be in trouble probably. So there's definitely some cards that will, uh, you know, that'll be pretty good, pretty good against it. But I don't know if anything quite gives it, like, a... What gives you like an auto win against the deck, especially for the big decks like the the big Intellion decks? So one deck we definitely need to talk about, which it was still pretty popular, but it almost feels like it's been pushed out um, a bit from the meta. A very low percentage of like top level players were playing it, it feels like. And that is Mew VMAX. Um, is that a testament to just like the consistency of the Intellion engine? People wanted to stick with a deck that they knew they'd be able to play the game a higher percentage of the time. Or, I don't know, like, are people just, like, a little down on it, a little unfavorable for it? Because there's not that many, like, hard Mew counters out there right now. There's less Path to the Peak Index. There's less Darkness-type Pokemon running around. What led to Mew VMAX's lack of a top 8 spot and lack of deck choice by really good players? I mean, I feel like it's, like, a deck that less and less good players are just choosing to play because you just have... I mean, less con yeah, less control over the games. Um, I don't, I don't want to say Mew plays like less games overall than like the Arcantels and Palcantels because they also have their bad openings as well. But you can definitely make it's it's easier to make a comeback from a dead draw with a Palkia or an Arc deck than it is with Mew because if you just go like open Genesec Pass, 
it's so hard to re reestablish a board state. Whereas an Arcus or a Palk deck, they can be swinging on the next turn with an Arcus or a Palkia potentially and be just fine. But you can't really do that with a Mew deck. So I think it's just people, yeah, like like myself, more people are coming to terms with that. It is a very powerful deck, still very good, um, but it's just not worth. Like if you consider yourself a good player, um, you, it's really hard for you to give yourself an edge by continuing to play the deck. You know over something else it's just you just know there's no edge to be gained everyone knows about the deck everyone has a strategy against the deck everyone's deck is prepared to beat it like and then on top of that it's not like you can tech it out or play a bunch of things that make it really easy for you to all of a sudden overcome all of these obstacles um and it, it actually is currently a deck where i'm thinking is like maybe it is a deck that people will kind of forget going into worlds right because if all the best players in the world just aren't playing it that's going to be a majority of the people who are playing. Don't be tempted, you know, Azul. Don't go back. Don't go back. <laughs> you finally got away. So I could see it becoming a deck that people forget about for Worlds. I mean, I think a good indication of that will be how many are in day one and how they do in day one. So I, day one of Worlds, I definitely expect Mew to be a factor, but I'm more so thinking about kind of day two of Worlds where, you know, all of the best players who have their day two invites already just have not been playing Mew VMAX. Most of them have just been choosing not to play Mew VMAX this whole time. You know, I played it a bit played it for that first event uh you know natalie played it to get a win but since then has kind of put it away like and i don't expect all of any all of a sudden any of them to kind of pick it back up um so it'll it's factor into going to worlds will definitely just be how how well it does in day one i think but uh, it does seem feel like a deck that people are kind of almost for the best because it's definitely one of those decks that no one still enjoys going up against like no one right. wants to play against me so it's almost for the best that maybe just the community as a whole can just kind of let me go and just no one plays it anymore so something we should mention for sure is the lack of Blissey and Duraludon in the top 32 because those were the first place decks, first and second place decks at Milwaukee just a couple weeks ago. Um, there were still quite a few Blissey running around, several in top 64, a couple Arceus Duraludons in day two as well, but it just didn't really perform as maybe highly as people would have thought coming off of such a good performance in Milwaukee. So, um, I don't know, what are your kind of thoughts on why it underperformed a little bit? I do still think the Blissey deck is really good, um, but Arceus Duraludon, it's almost like people respected it a little bit more. You know, we saw Echoing Horn in a lot of the Palkia lists as a way to just boost your damage a bit more. Um, and then people also, like, I think people were on the fence for Milwaukee about playing Starmie or not, which is really good yeah. against Blissey. And Starmie was in a lot of decks. It was in a lot of Palkia decks and also a lot of Arceus and Tellian decks. Yeah, so I think I think Blissey is easier to hard. I think Duraludon's just not that good of a deck. I think it's okay. I think the Eldegoss from Brayden probably got them a ton of wins in a lot of situations where people just didn't expect like aggressive plays with Boss or whatever. Um, so I think. It, yeah, the deck is definitely... And also, like, the matchup, like, Arceus and Talon becoming more popular is also pretty bad for Arceus Duraldon. That's actually one of the reasons I was kind of surprised that Arceus Duraldon was able to win Milwaukee was that that crew of players coming through with Arceus and Teleon and doing really, really well at uh, at Milwaukee because that matchup's just not good for Arceus Duraldon. Like, Arceus Duraldon also struggles against Arceus uh, B-Barrel. Like, I beat two of them really handedly in, in Milwaukee myself. Like, um, Sharon's care is just hard to deal with. <laughs> like you have your hyper potions, but it's so much harder for you to find your hyper potions than it is for the other Arceus decks to just find a Sharon's care and reset the reset off the Sharon's care. So yeah, Arceus Duraldon, I still just like feel like I think I don't want to call it a fluke that it won Milwaukee, um, but like it definitely was like one of those things where like if you run if you run that tournament back, I don't think Dura Arceus Duraldon's getting close. I don't think you'll see two in the top eight for sure that we had in Milwaukee. So yeah, I think it was a little bit more just kind of right time, right moment for Arceus Duraldon. Uh, for Blissey, I think Blissey just 
like yeah the, the starmy showed up i think it's just a kind of unfortunate for blissey like i think blissey's still a really really good deck but it's really hard to deal with starmy you can sit there and just put th four energy on your blissey but you lose so many you lose so much of your win percentage of gate of blissey because you had so many games with, there's so many games with blissey where you just win because you just ramped out a massive blissey from yeah. like turn two on and you just have like a blissey with nine energy on turn three just swinging and then they hit it and you heal it and then you one hit ko and you just like ramp through the rest of the game so not being able to do that because everyone plays starmy all of a sudden like makes the deck lose a lot of its win percentage so i think that was like it's kind of unfortunate for blissey that starmy really uh showed up big so is there anything else in the top 32 or like in the day two field, I guess, in general, that really stood out to you? Anything that you maybe even even maybe something you played in day one that like someone was doing pretty decently with that was something you wouldn't have expected? I know there was a couple weird decks in day two. There was um, the Turbo Dialga deck. Xander Perot ended up bubbling at top 64, got 65th place with the Dialga V-Star um there was a couple there was like a hisuian samurai or two in day two i think but neither of them did super yeah. great i don't know was there anything else that stood out to as a really cool deck not really nothing that I actually ended up uh getting towards the i didn't really see anything that ended up getting towards the top table i wasn't paying too much attention to the the rest of the the rest of what was going on of just like kind of you know because i was at table one for most of the most of the tournament i was kind of just looking at like what was going on was up at that upper up at the upper half of the tables so yeah, i didn't uh check out too much of what was happening in day two but yeah nothing too surprising i mean yeah arceus and talia and arceus palki i think were just by far the two most well popular there was decks that in day two. Uh, really cool like bird box deck that two people got oh yeah two with that deck was pretty cool um i think it was two brothers actually getting both of them top 32 with a Vika Volt Galarian Moltres V deck. Yeah, that deck, I sat next to one of them actually in the last round, yeah, and it was like, it seemed like the point of the deck was like to turn one, just attack with Vika Volt, and then was like, okay, from here, we'll see how, 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 how much pressure or how much, you know, how much damage is that doing to their current setup, and then kind of evaluate and go from there, because you can go with the big attack from the Vika Volt, they had the Moltres in there. I think they played a 1-1 Palkia in there as well, just another way to accelerate energy. Uh, there's um, no Palkia. There's no Palkia. Oh, okay, maybe I saw I saw a different list than that had the the Vika Volt plus Palkia. Yeah, there was Palkia a guy who played there. a Palkia Vika Volt deck in Milwaukee, and I know that's a yeah. deck that's like kind of existed in Japan a little bit, but yeah, it's kind of like the Turbo Turbo Palkia, but then you have like a Vika Volt in there and uh, a Raikou. It's like sometimes people play the Raikou in there as well, and that's actually like super helpful up going up against Palkia and Talion because that lets you win the the back and forth a lot easier because. One of Turbo Palkia's struggles against Palkia and Teleon is like they KO both your Palkias. Now you can't even KO anything anymore. But you just put the Raikou in there and then you have two V stars and the Raikou to kind of over like the Suicune. And you have the Raikou in there instead to kind of give you that edge. So, yeah, but it wasn't anything too crazy. Like, I think it's, I mean, it's hard to compare anything to the, to the deck that Sander and Mies played as far as crazy goes. So <laughs> it's like nothing else is like really crazy compared to that. But um, yeah, the Vika Vault decks were cool, though, for sure. The 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 two Vika Vault decks that uh, made up top 32. Definitely a deck I'm going to be trying out uh, this week uh, on stream and stuff. Yeah, definitely a cool one. Okay, well, uh, as we move on from NAIC, it's definitely something that people are going to be keeping in mind as we move to the World Championships, even though we have the new Pokemon Go set. Um, and there are a lot of cool cards. The meta will still be very heavily impacted by the results. Yeah of NAIC, which the results are pretty heavily leaning towards Palkia and Arceus Intellion. Obviously, you won with the Pikachu VMAX, so people will consider that, but I feel like it's more beneficial to people to think about the decks that were most played, which was Arceus yeah. Intellion and Palkia. 
Definitely, definitely for sure. That's going to be the the big decks to worry about. Um, and then I think Mew Mew is always going to be a factor. You got to like keep Mew in the back of your mind. You can't. I think we could. I, like I feel like the meta could get to a point it's where everyone like, forgets about Mew. It's risky if people start to forget yeah. about Mew, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but as long as the decks like it seems like Palkia and Arceus and Talion just naturally are the way that the lists are developing, almost going away from trying to hard beat Mew, just are still naturally beating Mew enough of the time. So it does make it very hard to want to pick up Mew and be like, ah, no one's playing Dark Stuff anymore. It's like, ah, we still have Roxanne Path. We don't need to play Dark Stuff. It's like, okay, I guess I just can't play Mew anymore, right? So um, so yeah, it feels like, I think there's only one Mew, I'm actually looking at it now, there's only one Mew in top 32 yeah. of the, uh, and a Mew was probably the most popular deck at the tournament. I guess Palky and Talion maybe was, but Mew was second most popular deck at the tournament overall, probably, right? So yeah. We'll see. We'll see how it goes from here. But yeah, don't forget about Mew fully. You don't want to forget about it fully. But yeah, it's probably not going to be as big of a deal as the Inteleon decks going forwards. Um, but that was NAIC. It's a great tournament. Uh, super fun to play and win. Chip, I know you had a good time casting it, but now we're going to get to everyone's favorite segment. Guess that flavor text. And I'm picking this time, picking the card for Chip. I'm picking a card. I'm going to read the flavor text, and Chip has to try and guess which pokemon it is not like specifically what set it is or the set number just the po the name of the pokemon um so i'm gonna read the flavor text here in a second the the other part of this game that we have is we have three lifelines um and chip at any point can ask for one of these lifelines um and we'll receive one less point though so if chip gets it right without using any lifelines chip will get four points if they use one life if, if chip uses one lifelines three points two points one point and the lifelines are what set the card is from what stage the card is, and then read an attack name on the card. Um, so, are you ready, Chip? I am so ready. <clears throat> All right, flying Pikachu from Evolution. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. When they see an enemy, their tails stand, their tails stand high, and they spit the seeds of berries stored in their cheek pouches. Um. I mean, I feel like this is either Squavet or Greedent. Um, I will say, what stage is the card? Is it stage one? I mean, it's just got to be Greedent, <laughs> right? Like, it's like the cheek pouch Pokemon, I'm pretty sure, is like the actual designation. Read, it, read me the flavor text one more time. <clears throat> when they see an enemy, their tails stand high and they spit the seeds of berries stored in their cheek pouches. It's just gotta be Greedent, man. He also has a massive tail. It's like taller than his <laughs> head. I'm going Greedent all day. You gave me a layup this week. You locking it in? Locking it in. It is not Greedent. No! Come on! There's no way! There's no way! What Pokemon? How? He's Watchhog. Watchhog? <laughs> Watchhog! Hey, you guess which Watchhog it is? Bro, I don't care! <laughs> is it from, like, Emerging Powers or something like that? Yes, it is oh the Emerging Powers God. Watchhog, the one that Grant was looking for this weekend to play in GLC. <laughs> or last weekend, maybe. Um, it has the Watch Check Attack. Look at the top five card of your opponent's deck and put them back Bro, in. Bro, he doesn't even oh, have a tail! In any order. I think he has two tails. It says it says their tails stand high. I thought you were oh, gonna maybe get it on tail. that. I thought you were gonna maybe gonna get it on that when I reread it and be like, wait, Greedent has one tail. Um, Watchhog also only has one tail. Do they? Because it says when they see an enemy, their tails stand high. So that's like, do they have multiple? In the picture, you can't. I can only I'm see one sure, tail. Yeah, look at any other Watchhog card. Okay, maybe. I think it's meant to be like when they like 
the multiple yeah. Watchogs because yeah. it's like a pack Pokemon. I'm pretty sure, dude. There's just no shot. <laughs> no shot. Watchog from Emerging Powers. Dang yep, it! If I had it. just asked, I went for the three points. I thought you gave me a layup this week. No shot. <clears throat> yeah, if you had asked for a attack name, I would have gone with Quicktail Smash, and then I would have given mean, you. If I had asked what set it was from, I would have known it wasn't Greedent because Greedent yeah. didn't exist when Emerging Powers. Yeah, came that's out. true. No. What would you have guessed though at that point? If you knew it was Emerging Powers, where would you even go from there? I don't think I was ever getting to Watch Hog, to be honest. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Maybe with the relevance of Grant feverishly looking for this card last week, I would have gotten there. But jeez, man. Jeez. <sighs> All right. right. Another so, zero pointer. That's okay. Another zero pointer. A couple other interesting things happened at NASC. The first one was the, uh, and this is one that actually probably everyone's heard about, but also everyone outside of Pokemon has probably heard about. Or at least if you're like in gaming, you know, follow some gaming people on Twitter, IGN, whatever. Someone showed up with a deck of jumbo cards, like the big cards that you get from like the products, like the the like the, the one I have, I, the one I can remember off the top of my head that I have is the V Union one, Pikachu V Union jumbo card. Those cards, someone showed up with a deck of 60 of them. And I uh, actually don't think the V Union cards would have been acceptable for this deck because it's four we cards. We talk about that? I talked about that with someone. But no, but it is one card. But it's four cards. It has four set numbers on one card. So you Oh, does it really? Oh, yeah. okay. I thought it maybe it had its own set number thing. No, no. But yes, four jumbo cards. Yeah, there's a bunch of different jumbos. I've got a Cramorant V here. Like, yeah. it's just these big cards like this. There are no energies, no trainer cards. This guy purely did it for the meme. And this went pretty viral on Twitter as well. Joshua Yell from IGN tweeted it out. This madman entered the North, the Pokemon TCG North American International Championship with a 60-card deck made purely of novelty jumbo cards. The judges debated and ruled it was legal because card size is not specified in the rules. <laughs> and this tweet has 197 thousand likes on twitter which is wild pokemon tcg stuff does not go with this viral no never it was actually pretty yeah, it was pretty crazy I, I didn't see them at the event so i didn't get to actually see it in action see them play out a game of pokemon but yeah they obviously they can't win they don't do it there they can't attack there's no energy i don't even know if i mean maybe one of the jumbo cards has an attack with zero energy on it but um yeah there's no way for them to ever win a game of pokemon they just sat down looked over their pokemon let them all get knocked out and then lose. I don't even know if they ever completed like a full game, <laughs> maybe a couple, but at some point I'm sure it'd get a little bit boring to sit there and just have your jumbo cards get knocked out over and over. Uh, but I'm sure going forwards, there will be a rule that states you can't use, you know, abnormally sized cards. You can't use the jumbo cards going forwards. I'm sure they're going to make a rule covering that going forwards. Big shout outs to Matthew Verive, who is the player who did this an absolute absolute legend, a meme <laughs> lord, legend status in the Pokemon TCG. There is a thread here on Twitter we can go through just really quickly. For those curious, I lost first off, it starts off with it is time. And he just p tweeted a picture of his playmat with the jumbo card deck <laughs> set up, <laughs> ready to draw the opening hand. The picture that went viral from Joshua's tweet is pretty hilarious. Just sitting there holding three jumbo cards with a bunch of <laughs> benched Pokemon and active six prize cards off to the side because they won't fit on the playmat. Pretty outrageous. Um but yeah, we'll just follow the thread really quickly before we move on. For those curious, I lost game one. 
nobody's surprised. Uh, my opponent scooped game two just to force a game three for funsies. And then <laughs> I got deck checked <laughs> between game two and game three and says, after what was probably the longest deck check I've ever witnessed, the deck was returned with the, quote, we're still not sure if this is playable, but finish up the round and talk to us afterwards. I lost game three and then dropped as I had intended to no matter what. So Matthew really did commit to the bit, was here for the memes. You love to see it. And uh, it then followed up as well. Talked to the judging staff afterwards. And if I didn't drop, I might have received a DQ for marked cards. The oversized cards aren't <laughs> cut as high standard as regular cards. So some cards could understandably be identified. And then he also tweeted out his deck list, which, you know, it's a pretty wild one <laughs> for Pikachu V, um, a 4-4 Eternatus VMAX, a 2-4 uh, Snorlax VMAX, it looks like, <laughs> uh, and then just an 0-4 Meowth VMAX. <laughs> It's pretty, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Legendary status regardless. Yeah, definitely a good meme. It was definitely funny to see. And uh, yeah, they're definitely going to have to hard rule on no jumbo cards from here on out. But I, I didn't even like think about that before. I was like, yeah, what? Do, I mean, if you, I mean, who does think of that? What if I just showed up with 60 jumbo cards? Because obviously some jumbo, some non-jumbo, that would just be marked cards. Right. Uh, it has sure. to be 60 of the same. For sure. Yeah. Um, but I will say, uh, just to add to this, Christopher Shemansky, who was the head judge for the Masters this weekend, the Masters division of the Pokemon TCG, he did tweet out yesterday and said, also, despite the esports blogger who ran hard with the claim that the oversized cards were, quote, confirmed to be legal or whatever, the NAIC ruling I'm most able to comment on is this one, probably a firm no. We didn't get a full answer before Matthew dropped. So probably would not have been allowed. I heard someone joking saying that it was like the air bud rule, right? Where the rules don't say you can't have a dog on your team. So let's let the dog play. It's, which is a pretty good comparison, honestly. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, it's kind of just like a common sense thing of like, don't show up to a Pokemon tournament with a deck of 60 jumbo cards. It is not legal. I we don't have to write a rule. <laughs> you know it's not legal. The original Jumbo cards did have a little bit of text on the back that said these are not tournament legal, and those haven't been on the cards for a long time, mm. so I almost wonder if they'll add that back now, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe just to be safe, that's what they'll do. As a as a precaution, it makes sense. Just make sure no more memers can uh, come through. Although it is, it's good publicity for the game, right? Like It's not a bad thing. As I mean, the fact that uh, 200,000 people liked that tweet and probably a million people saw it, like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it definitely is. So, yeah, it's not bad for the game. Maybe we should let a couple more people play with their jumbo cards just for, you know, the the clout. We should <laughs> for just the game. let them scoop and get all the way to the finals. <laughs> <laughs> like, everyone's get two people into the tournament. Everyone just scoop them into the finals. Yeah, that would work. That'd be worth it. Okay, so moving on, though, from that, another big thing that went down at the North American International Championships this weekend was there was a, um, a few different disqualifications that actually took place for various different reasons. One of them, I know, had to do with a deck check issue, which, to me, something 
being someone being DQ'd during deck check, like it has to have been pretty severe where it was like an unfair advantage was likely gained, you know? Yeah. Because normally it's just yeah. like, oh, we'll have you resleeve or replace the damaged sleeves, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it would have to have been something like the cards. I mean, it would have to have been a lot of cards that were out of order or out of sorts. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it was they had there was a difference in the deck between the 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 deck list and the deck they were playing or if it was a difference or the sleeves were marked or um but yeah it had to be pretty severe because usually it is game loss slash match loss i believe and then you know you either get basic energy for the cards that were that you were playing that weren't on your deck list or um you know you have to re-sleeve or something so for it to be a dq is definitely uh surprising i would say for sure for uh for just like a deck check deck check to dq it definitely doesn't happen very often yeah uh, for sure. And the player that this happened to was actually a former world champion, 2017 world champion, Diego Casiraga. So I don't know what the whole situation was there. I actually spoke to Diego at the end of the night on Friday, and um, he was with his whole family there at the event. He had, like, his kids there as well, traveling from Brazil. And he just bre – I didn't, like, get everything, like, the whole story because it was, like, we were trying to catch an Uber. They were trying to catch an Uber. I just kind of saw him and was like, oh, how did you do? I didn't actually realize that he was the player who had been DQ'd at the time. And he told me kind of what happened just really quickly, like, you know, some issue with the deck check. And, like, I didn't get the full story pretty much, though, is all, you know, all that I can say. Yeah. Thankfully, hopefully it's nothing like too bad because he's still in the venue. The I saw him at the venue on on Sunday. So. Right, and usually um, if it's it like a DQ for cheating, like there that person's oh, not yeah, going to yeah. be allowed yeah. back into the tournament. <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed back in the venue at that point. So, and then another DQ took place. I don't actually remember the player's name. He was someone we had on stream, but uh, I think a lot of people thought that it had to do with something uh, to do with him declumping on stream. And as far as I yeah. understand. Um, a disqualification was totally separate from that yeah I, yeah i'm not sure i heard so take this with what take this with like you know whatever that you know they just like admitted to you know cutting their opponent's deck based on them seeing the bottom card of the deck um so i don't know if that was it or if it was something else but yeah declumping on stream like declumping is something that doesn't do anything um but people still do it um, and it's like, yeah, that wouldn't be a reason to DQ someone unless they were like insufficiently shuffling after they after were decomping. Yeah. But it was on stream, so I'm sure the judges um, were, you know, very much paying attention to what was going on with that. So, but also, um, yeah, that's what let's it, cl clarify: don't declump. <laughs> oh yeah, it just wastes time. <laughs> yeah, don't declump. But like, yeah, just don't declump. <laughs> that's all there is to it. It's just a waste yeah, and of that's time. coming from someone who I I used to declump when I first started playing the game because I didn't know any better, you know, right. about full randomization and all that. You know, I'd still sh make sure I was always taught to you know riffle, riffle or mass shuffle, you know, seven times and then give it to your opponent to cut. But I had no understanding of like you know declumping did absolutely nothing. But as soon as I figured out that declumping doesn't do anything, I'm like, oh okay, well, so it's just a waste of time. Why would I do this? You know, and I guess also we know, could talk about real quick Isaiah because that was it was a big conversation on Twitter about. Uh, in Isaiah's stream game, something that he started to do was during his first deck search, he pulled all of the Pokemon in his deck up to the front of his deck to just check his prizes more quickly. And I would say that actually probably saves time because it lets you check yep. a lot more efficiently. And then 
he would mash them into his deck and then shuffle his deck afterwards very sufficiently. So, I mean, no cause to think cheating. And that's also, I would say, slightly different than declumping. The first time I remember seeing a player do that was actually uh, Igor doing it on stream at 2017 in AIC when he got top four. Uh, he was playing yeah. Decidueye, so another you know deck that had a very thick Pokemon line. It's really important. Um, you know, in that deck specifically, where you have a four-four-four line of your Decidueye, you got to know yeah. if you've got a Dartrix prized, right? Um, so he would check that really quickly and then shuffle afterwards, and it was no issue. So I think like that. I mean, that's honestly something I could see a lot of more players implementing into their first deck yeah. search, which I that could bring up some issues because then you open up the door to like people who could try to use it maliciously and attempt to stack, but. Uh, if you see your opponent doing that, don't automatically think that they're cheating. But if you see your opponent doing that and then they shuffle like three times, um, shuffle their deck and then maybe call a judge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, a, it's it is it is effectively declumping, but it's declumping with a purpose. You know, when people see like three DCE together in their deck and they spread them out, there's no purpose to that declumping besides wasting time. Because once you riffle shuffle or mash shuffle eight times and then offer it to your opponent to cut, there's a chance that the three DCE will still just be right next to each other again, right? So um, the, the point of what Bradner does with the declumping is to literally just check prize cards as fast as possible to not waste time. So it's like out of respect for uh, the competition and their opponent that they're trying to, you know, make sure they can get a sufficient amount of time or sufficient amount of games in, right, with the time, right? They're just trying to be uh, respectful to to the competition more so than anything, right? They're not trying to, you know, Take that extra 30 seconds to a minute to check prize cards. Just throw all the Pokemon to the front, check them real fast, check the prize cards that much faster, shuffle the deck up, and then your you know your deck is once again sufficiently randomized and it doesn't matter that you did it before. So it's declumping with a purpose, right? Which which makes sense. And I'm actually I'll probably start to try and do that myself as well. It's just a faster way to check prize cards. I've never thought about it before. I've never seen anyone do it besides uh Bradner. Uh, I saw Bradner do it on the uh EUIC stream. Um but yeah, definitely not. And actually, I was super surprised how many players thought how many players who have been in the game for a while who thought what bradner did was illegal i was like no it's not <laughs> and i was super surprised by some of the names of people on twitter who were like wait i thought that was illegal um so that actually shocked me a little bit for people who have been in the game for a long time like declumping is technically not illegal um but declumping without a purpose like what bradner does makes zero sense to ever do besides waste time so don't declump unless you're doing what bradner does is the only way it ever makes sense to declump and then the final of the three DQs that took place, uh, definitely the most talked about one was something that occurred in round number two, where, um, you know, allegedly, apparently, you know, we can't say for certain because we were not there, but obviously something happened because this player ended up getting disqualified. Um, allegedly, Zachary Cooper took a, palmed a boss's orders from his discard pile into his hand during a discard pile search um and this is not the first time that zach has been accused or caught doing this i believe there was a very similar instance at an oceania international championships in 2017 i think or maybe it took yeah, place in 2016 um okay so the second one 2017 or 18, whatever, um, where he did the same thing with a double colorless energy, and Joe Rudiger caught him uh, doing that. So, um, yeah, kind of, uh, you know, maybe something some people weren't as surprised to hear, but Zach was disqualified from the event. Zach has had a very good season thus far. He's made top eight at multiple regional championships, and anytime someone gets disqualified from an event for 
something like this, which, you know, if it is true, it is blatant cheating. He should be disqualified. And if this is his multiple offense, he maybe should receive a ban. Uh, I Maybe I shouldn't say maybe, but he should receive a ban um, for, you know, egregiously trying to put a card from his discard pile into his hand. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of suspect to, to see that happen after someone's done so well all season. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sucks. You always want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. And of course, you know, Zach has had, you know, that past that you mentioned, you know, specific, the specific incidents being, you know, the OCIC. So, I mean, it's always, you always want to try and give people the benefit of the doubt for everything. But, you know, another incidents like this, I would be surprised if they did not end up getting uh, banned. They were definitely DQ'd from the event for the, the incident, whatever it ha- ended up happening at NAIC. Um, like I said, we don't know for sure, but that's what everyone's been saying um so it yeah it definitely feels like it it will probably lead to a ban um i've always said that i'm always a big believer in second chances so whether or not they get to you know eventually come back later on we'll have to that'll be up to kind of pokemon to decide but um yeah is this not the uh, second chance though right i mean if this happened at ocic you gotta wonder how many second chances does someone get yeah i mean this this could be the the i guess this could be the final straw yeah for sure this could be it uh, we might not ever see uh see zach ever again after this one I mean, I think it should just be a message to anyone out there who has maybe ever done something like that or has considered doing something like that. Um, you know, eventually these things catch up to you. So you might get away with Definitely. it for a while, but it it might it will catch up to you. So don't be uh, don't be a cheater. That's that's just kind of the moral <laughs> of the story. Don't 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 palm cards from your discard pile. Don't stack your deck. Don't um cut your opponent's deck in a way because you know what the bottom card of their deck is and don't mark your sleeves intentionally though we don't know necessarily if any of these things happen it's a touchy subject so i want to not dive too deep into any of these things but yeah i mean it it, it was a big thing that happened so we wanted to talk about it at least yeah at least bring it up a little bit but yeah let's move on from that um and let's talk about uh the Pokemon Go set. Actually, there was a lot of people opening up. They had the Pokemon Go set at NAIC, right? Because I saw a lot of people opening up. Yeah, it's a little apps. weird. I thought that the official release date was um, July the 1st, but I've seen on YouTube a ton of people opening it up. I did see people at the event that had it, so I don't know if some of the vendors there had it or if there was some on the prize wall maybe. I'm not sure what the situation was. I really thought that it didn't come out quite yet, though. Yeah, I had no, I had no clue. But yeah, then it was, it was just kind of there uh <laughs> it was just there so um they were uh saw people opening it saw a couple uh like tiktoks or whatever on twitter of people getting the dittos yep. uh in their packs the ditto of course is a it, it can be any pokemon card basically in a pack of the pokemon go set but in the bottom left corner i think it can only card. be one of the reverse hollows and it's oh, only it? certain of the reverse hollows it's not okay like, so maybe not you're not anything. gonna pull a radiant charizard and it turns out it's a ditto it's kind okay, of okay 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 so like it's yeah okay so a little bit more limited than that but yeah if there's a ditto in the bottom left corner of one of your cards that means you can peel off the front of that card and there will be a ditto behind that i have to imagine they would feel a little thicker too right like I feel like you'd be able to feel the difference as well. Yeah, if you held probably. A ditto card and a non-ditto card, but super cool. Like it's like a super cool little Easter egg that they added to the uh, to the set. But um, I'm actually yeah, kind of interested what's what it... going to happen though, because um, like the ditto's a pretty good card, right? Yeah. And uh, I feel like the fact the act of peeling a card could just lead to like damaged cards pretty reasonably. 
um so how many how many know. of them are gonna end up in bulk too like how many of the ditto there's gonna be a lot <laughs> who's like, not gonna the, know right yeah it's like when people would you know like the people who buy bulk all the time one of the reasons that all these big stores and stuff buy bulk is because you just never know what's gonna show up in there sometimes people are gonna throw a bunch of like really good cards in there sometimes. i have heard and many just... stories of umbreon v star or gold Oof. stars and like you know rockets admins and all these like 20 plus or like 100 plus dollar cards just being pulled out of bulk boxes because people just don't know yeah and the ditto's gonna be a big one for sure there's gonna be a lot of dittos in the bulk i mean i don't know how expensive the ditto's gonna end up being but um there will be a lot of them in there and i'm sure kind of preserving them as like not peeling the thing will make them worth be worth a lot more in the future i feel like that would be something where people want to collect like one of each ditto right, right. The, the i've card, thought about right? that as to uh, as well like uh that would be pretty funny and definitely something uh, people will do. So we're not going to do like yeah. a full set review or anything like that. We'll talk about a few more of the cards next week. But for now, we just each picked a couple of cards that we wanted to talk about. Um, so Ozil, why don't you start talking about a couple cards? Let's do this real quick because yeah. we're getting a little we're, – we're at an hour 40 here. So, Oh, my gosh. All right, yeah. <laughs> so the first one uh, that I had to talk about was the – not just one card but three of them. The Moltres, the Articuno, the Zapdos. They all do plus 10 damage for the respective typing. So fire, water, lightning. Like a regirock um, for every single type or all of those yeah, types. All those types. Yeah, I think that's just going to be pretty cool. I think they'll all have, not all of them, but at least one of them will probably have a place in some point in a format where it's just like, oh, for this specific matchup, I need 10 more damage. Like the Articuno specifically, people are playing Zigzagoon in, uh, playing Zigzagoon in the Polkadex maybe just artic what it maybe turbo Palkia comes back and you just got like four articunos on your bench and you're doing plus that's a lot of extra damage that your opponent has to deal with all of a sudden or so. think about vika volt v with zapdos and you're getting item yeah. locked for you're getting quaking punched with choice belt plus four of those guys in play for 120 damage that's uh that's a lot of damage it's a lot scarier than the the normal 50 damage for sure so yeah Definitely could see some cool stuff. There definitely will be a moment for one of these cards. Maybe all of them. Um, last time I think we saw something like this was with the Delmise in Metagross that did major metal Pokemon do plus 10 damage, I believe. So that 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 one was used for a little bit in Metagross, if I remember correctly. But mm -hmm. yeah, they'll have their moment for sure. The plus 10s are, are more than they seem for sure. Uh, the first card I wanted to talk about was the Radiant Charizard for a few reasons. Obviously, it is a Charizard, and Charizard is my favorite Pokemon. It is a shiny Charizard, which is very cool. But it's actually a pretty dang good card. It's Excited Heart Ability. This Pokemon's attacks cost colorless less for each prize your opponent has taken. And Combustion Blast, its attack is used for a fire and four colorless. So if your opponent has taken four prizes, you can put this in play. And it deals 250 damage for one fire energy. You throw a belt on there, you're doing 280, which is knocking out all of the V-Stars. Yeah, the Charizard's going to be a pretty insane, I think, for sure. Like, it's it's just so good. Like, a twin energy plus a fire after they take a one prize card is doing 250. Like, that's yeah, that's pretty crazy. Like, yeah, the Charizard, I, the Charizard's good. The Charizard's probably the best card in the set, I think, for sure. And then, um, yeah, on to you. Yours is one we've already talked about a little bit. Yeah, the Ditto uh, only has an ability, 70 HP basic Pokemon, Sudden Transformation. This Pokemon can use the attacks of any basic Pokemon in your discard pile, except for Pokemon with a rule box. Um, so the big one that I think everyone just jumped to with this was Mad Party. Um, so you can use this, copy the attack Mad Party from the bottom B, so you'll be able to hit a little bit faster, a little bit more aggressively, maybe even get to the point where their Mad Party just doesn't play Pulte uh, or uh, Sinesti anymore. Yeah. yeah, it's just Ditto 
ditto Bunnelby at that point, maybe. So uh, maybe a little bit of life to that deck. But cards like this are always just kind of good, right? I feel like these are always like just solid cards. And that's what I, I think I mentioned. Like a lot of cards in the set just make you like look at them, read them, stop and think, right? And like it's always good to have cards like that in a uh, in a set for sure. Listen, man, shout outs to Magikarp, Raging Finn, 10 plus 30 <laughs> more for each Magikarp and Gyarados in your discard pile. Okay, just saying, just saying. Move on. My card, my last one I want to talk about is the Mewtwo V-Star. And the first time I read this card, I was not really super hype on it. I didn't think it was going to be very good. Just having to discard a bunch of energy from your side of the field in order to attack is uh, kind of hard to sustain multiple turns in a row. But, I mean, with a choice belt, this thing just does um, 300 damage which is pretty wild. Uh, and you can yeah. power it up with like Energy Switch plus Galarian Moltres plays, uh, or not Moltres, sorry, Galarian Articuno. Um, and also it's V-Star Power Star Raid, very reminiscent of Black Ray GX or even Holy Star from Rayquaza Gold Star if you're an old head and can remember that. Um, yeah, for a second, you can color this 120 to each of your opponent's Pokemon V which counts Pokemon V, V-Star, and V-Max. So you can Star Raid to set everything up, and then you don't even have to discard that many energies with Psy Purge in order to take KOs. I didn't think this card was great at first. The more I think about it, the more I think this card is pretty good. Yeah, I thought that kind of the same thing. It does have one of the, probably, the, the, the worst weakness to have in the game, I feel like, has generally been fighting. One of the other worst ones is also Dark. So it is weak to Dark. There's a lot of Dark Pokemon in the format that have been splashed around in a lot of decks. So... If it gets really, really good, I think the format will have plenty of answers for it. But yeah, I, I agree with you. When I first read it, I was like, oh, this is really good. Then I read it further, and I was like, eh, not too hype on it. But the more I've uh, thought about the card, the more you've mentioned it as well. Like, it, it definitely, like, it's a lot of damage. As long as you can get those psychic energy and play consistently, you're going to be able to do a lot with that Psy Purge every single turn. So definitely some... Uh, some hope for the Mewtwo for sure going into uh, going to the Pokemon Go set. And it has 280, not 270, which yeah. is definitely very key. Definitely. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you again for the support. Once again, we, I mean, I know I, I had a bunch of people come up to me and say they really uh, liked the podcast and enjoyed it a lot. Um, so appreciate everyone who came up and did that. I'm sure as we'll had plenty of people who said the same thing. Um, if you want to support us, be sure to leave a like on the YouTube video if you're watching or leave a rating on your favorite podcasting platform. It really does help us out a lot and it lets more people find the cast who are also interested in Pokemon. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel and the new podcast highlights channel. I'll be posting more highlights this week since I will actually be home and able to do that since I was not home all the last week and a half traveling um but yeah thank you all so much for watching be sure to check us out on social media myself at trainer chip over on twitter azul at azul underscore gg and you can also follow the podcast on twitter at uncommon underscore energy yep appreciate it as always uh the support and everything catch you all next week peace peace